Thank you so much, John and Rebecca. Thank you for being with us uh, this morning. Uh, welcome to those joining us online as well. Um, I hope and pray that you guys had a wonderful week celebrating our risen Savior last week. Um, today we are going to transition from our Easter series, which was Journey to Jerusalem, to a new series that we're simply going to call uh, One Another. Uh, and throughout the Bible, there are a series of one another statements. Um, some of these statements come from Jesus, and a bulk of them come from Paul in his letters uh, to the New Testament churches. And this phrase, one another, is used a hundred different times in the New Testament. And in English, we translate it to two words, one another, but it comes from a single Greek word, alone. And, and these statements are significant because they become the foundation for how we are to live together as a Christians in community and in church. Um, as redeemed and saved followers of Jesus, this is how we are called to relate, encourage, love, lift up, forgive, and spur one another on. But these commands not only form the foundation for Christian community, but they also directly impact how we relate to and share the hope of Jesus with the world around us. Uh, one of the most famous one another statements comes from Jesus in John 13, 34. And there Jesus tells us to love one another. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then in the next verse, Jesus tells us, it is by this that everyone will know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. The way we as followers relate to one another should impact not only uh, the way we relate to the world around us, but it should also draw the world to want to be a part of the community that we have. These one another statements that we are going to look at over the next couple of months are foundational to our families, to our friendships, to our relationships, and to our witness. And today we're going to kick off the series uh, with one that is challenging and is incredibly countercultural to our world and our community. And I'll be honest with you, this is one of those that I don't speak to you out of any sort of mastery, uh, but in fact, it's one that I regularly fail to when it comes, fail on when it comes to the subject uh, of encouragement. I am naturally bent towards criticism or realism, as I like to call it, as opposed to encouragement. But if we can begin to facilitate the practice of encouraging others in our lives, in our families, in our church, I believe it would be a game changer that would also serve as an incredible attractant to those outside our walls. You know, nowadays we live in a world uh, where everyone has been, been given a voice with the internet. Uh, and there's this degree of perceived anonymity in that. And so it's become easier than ever to criticize and tear people down. Because of that, we live in a culture where it has become the norm to criticize anything we don't like publicly, to tear down the competition, and to backstab anyone who get, tries to get in our way. Uh, even in our own town, there's, there's a Facebook page called Sweetwater County Rants and Raves. It's a page devoted primarily to being a platform for people to criticize and complain about things they don't like. Now, I know there are a lot of communities that have these pages, but what a testament to the critical nature of our culture. And so today, Paul is going to call us to not be critical of one another, but to instead encourage one another, to build one another up. In a world of criticism, backstabbing, and tearing each other down, Paul says the church should be a place where we pick one another up and we encourage each other to press on in the Lord. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Uh, 1 Thessalonians is one of those books that if you don't know where it is, this is perfectly appropriate time to check your table of contents. Uh, it's in uh, Paul's letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I've looked on my Bible, it's page 1594 if that's of any help uh, to you. You got it. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 11, Paul writes, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for this one another statement on our life that calls us to build each other up and to encourage one another and to, uh, to treat one another with kindness, Lord. God, we pray that you would uh, open our eyes and our hearts to those areas where we may be lacking in this and that through your spirit you would uh, motivate us and equip us to be uh, better encouragers and builders up of one another. Lord, not only of one another in our church, but those outside of our church, Lord, that we would be a people that reach out uh, with kindness in the hope of the gospel. God, we love you, and Lord, we thank you that you treated us with kindness that led us to repentance. Lord, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So let me just give you uh, just a tiny bit of background on the church of Thessalonica as we begin the passage. Oftentimes we read Bible stories, and, and we struggle to find them relatable because we believe we live in a much different culture and world than they did. And in this case, that's, that's true, but the world of Thessalonica was oppressive and hateful in ways that we can't comprehend. Like all the churches that Paul established, this was the first church in their community. When Paul writes this letter to the church of Thessalonica, the church is only two to three years old. Uh, so this church is less established than we here are at Living Hope. And this church was the only group of believers in the city of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was a major port, and it was a commercial city in the Roman Empire. So, so many, like so many of these cities in Rome uh, and the empire, the, the promiscuity and sexual perversion of the city uh, would make our culture blush in America. In addition to that, the church in Thessalonica, this young group of believers was facing constant persecution and threats on their life for their faith. A lot of the letter in 1 Thessalonians deals with the persecution, and it's Paul's call and encouragement on the church and the individuals to press on in their faith that God has called them to. So as we look at this, don't assume that this isn't relatable to us today because our world is so much different. The men and women receiving this letter were living in a culture that opposed them because of what they believed, and their culture wanted them wiped out of their community. And so that's the setting for the instruction from Paul. And what I want to do today is just, as we begin, give us some just general biblical wisdom on encouragement. And then I want to settle into this passage and look at the specific foundation and encouragement Paul is calling us to in 1 Thessalonians. Many of the one another statements we're going to study during this series, they are found in other places in the Bible too. So they're, they're said more than once. This one, for instance, is also found in Hebrews 3.13. And there the Bible reads, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so our first point, uh, or our first insight on encouragement today is that it should be a regular thing. Hebrews says encourage one another daily. So our first point is encourage one another regularly. Oftentimes we sprinkle an encouragement once in a while and we feel like we've got things covered uh, forever. It's like the old marriage joke. I told you I loved you on your wedding day and if anything changes, I'll let you know. So often we encourage someone once and we assume we have it covered. Right? We send a note at Christmas to our kid's teacher and we think we've got the whole year covered at church we compliment our brother a sister a leader uh, we encourage them in their faith and we assume we have it covered and then we begin to get down to the real business of instructing criticizing and telling them what we think they should do but the call here in hebrews is daily or regular encouragement the church in thessalonica was going through tremendous persecution and i think part of what paul is saying in this passage is you guys better stick together and encourage one another with the incredible pressure from the world, it had to be a temptation for them to throw in the towel, to recount their faith, to rejoin the world, because it would have been so much easier. But Paul's saying, pick one another up. 
and to do so regularly. This week, I came across a study from the University of Nebraska. And in this study, they looked at and examined 17,000 families in 27 different countries. And what they found in these families was that families that they deemed to be healthy had a ratio of 10 positive comments to every one negative comment. And in some instances, it was as high as 20 to 1. So for every comment about the meal that they didn't like or the chore that was left undone or an attitude that needed change, there were 10 compliments for every one of those negative assessments. That's incredible, and it's evidence of God's truth, of the truth of the Bible being played out in our culture. If we want to have healthier families, relationships, churches, then we have to begin to look for the positive and share the positive as opposed to just the negative. Back in 2011, two scientists from Cal Berkeley, they studied every NBA team and every game played that season. What they found was that teams that touch, those teams that high-five, give pats on the back, that pick one another up for the floor, they win more. The best teams would have 250-plus touches or touches of encouragement a game. The more they encouraged, the more they picked one another up, the more connected they were, the more they won. Now, obviously, in the NBA, good players help you win, but there was this common theme that encouragement and being, liking being around those that you were on your team helped you win more. Now, again, I said at the beginning, but I, I'm not good at this. I naturally see the negative or the real, as I prefer to call it. And then even when I see it and then when I see the positive, I get excited about it, I often fail to share it. And so this week, my encouragement for you is to try every day to intentionally see something positive and then share it. Try every day to intentionally find something positive in your spouse, in your kids, in your work, in your community, in your church, and then not just see it, but then share that positive. Share that encouragement verbally with someone. Thank your child's teacher for something specific they did. Thank the t-ball coach for volunteering. Tell your child something that you love about them. Tell your spouse that you appreciate something specific that they do. When you get together with friends or are chatting at work, talk about the positive things in our community, the positive things in our church, the positive things in your life. Be intentional this week to see the positive and then not only see it, but share it. Now that's a, that's a simple and fairly obvious point, but it's one that if we implement with intentionality, I think can have some profound impact on our own outlook and our own perspective, but also the health of our family, relationships, community, and church. So that's the first one. The second general point on encouragement from the Bible today comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So our second point is build one another up in kindness, or maybe more specifically in kind words. Uh, this verse here is it's kind of like that saying that your mom probably told you over and over as a child. If you can't say anything nice, then don't say anything at all. And that's kind of the, the negative side of the verse. But the, the positive side of the verse is that your words, that your encouragement, that they have the ability to build up those around you. So yes, we shouldn't be tearing others down, but we should also be intentionally building up an, one another with our words. The Greek word in this, this passage here is also translated as the word gift. So your words, your encouragement, your kindness can be and will be a gift to those that receive your encouragement. As children, we always chanted, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. Now we all know that's not true. Words can destroy us. But the hope of Ephesians 4 is not only can they destroy us, but they can also build us up. They can be a gift to others. 
this is this is kind of foreign to us and to our culture. I think in our culture, uh, there's a temptation that if we are hurt or someone doesn't meet our expectations, we fight back with words and with criticism. You know, think about if you're, you're in coaching, if your your kid doesn't get enough playing time or he gets cut from the team, you call up the coach and you cuss them out and you let them know what you think. Or the boss changes policies and what you do is you complain to all your coworkers about how terrible they are. I mean, I'm sure you can come up with your own examples. But this has become like an easy and culturally acceptable thing to do, to, to tear others down with our words. But that's not the response that Paul and the Bible calls us to as Christians. Jesus calls us to love those, even those that hurt us. The first offense here is that when we are ready to attack is to begin to be people that just pause before we talk and pray. The second way to combat this is with words of encouragement. Instead of focusing on what the person said or did, pause, pray, forgive, and then look for something positive. Find a way to encourage. That's how we should respond to fellow believers as well as those in the community and the workplace. The Bible calls us to be people who use our words for building up, not tearing down. Even, even when we've been hurt or wronged. But the beauty of words is they can tear us down if used wrong, but they can also be life-giving gifts. That's what the Greek portrays. We get to be speakers of life-giving words that encourage and build one another up. I would hope if you think about your life, you can think of some of those words that people spoke over your life that, that encouraged you and, and brought life to you. I know for me, there have been people that have encouraged me in words that have changed the trajectory of my life at times. I mean, I'm not sure where I would be today if it weren't for a football coach that told me he believed in me and backed it up with action. I'm not sure where I would be without a seminary professor that heard me preach and instead of criticizing everything I did wrong, encouraged me to pursue it. Just a couple weeks ago, I got an email from someone recommending me for something and encouraging me in my strengths and abilities. Those types of words are life-giving words, life-changing words, life-altering words. God calls us to be a people that speak life into each other, not criticism and defeat. So this week, I want you to look for ways you can encourage people with your words, ways you can praise people, thank people, and build, uh, build up others with what you say. Don't let unwholesome talk come from your mouth. Only those words that are gifts, that are helpful for building up. Now, you might hear that, and you might say to yourself, well, what do I do when someone is making choices that negatively affect their life, or they are headed down the wrong path, or they are living in sin? Do we just sit back and compliment and encourage one another as we head down a path of destruction? Of course not. Building up others and treating others, others with kindness can also mean speaking words of warning into their lives. Just this past week, I read a book called The Motive by Philip Lencioni. Uh, and it's a leadership book. And in this book, he talks about the, the five things that leaders most often uh, ignore or don't do. And one of those things, he said that leaders often ignore is the responsibility of having difficult conversations. He said leaders often ignore difficult conversations in the guise of kindness. So they don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. But what they really do, Lencioti says, is they're being unkind because they're allowing that person to head down a path of destruction. If someone doesn't speak into that person's life, they can lose their job, their family respect, and so on. So Flincioni says the failure to confront and help is actually an act of selfishness because a leader values their own comfort over the well-being of the other person. Yet even in those times of difficult conversations, we can still live out Ephesians 4.29 by speaking to those that we love with respect, by valuing them so much that we will speak the truth into their lives. I love Paul in Ephesians 4.15. He calls us to speak the truth, but he says speak the truth 
in love. Often to build one another up, we have to lovingly speak truth over weak spots in each other's lives. Let me just give you a simple example of this from, from, from my life. This past year, I was given the task of coaching the secondary uh, for the freshman football team. Now, those are cornerbacks and safeties, the people that defend the pass, if you're unfamiliar with football. But anyway, that was a completely foreign position to me. I never played it. I never coached it. I had no idea what I was doing. And so there were times those first couple of weeks that I was teaching the wrong thing out of ignorance. I didn't mean to, but I didn't know better. And so it would have been unkind to me and to the players I was coaching for the head coach to allow me to continue to teach the wrong thing. So instead, he would often come over and respectfully model the drill and correct the way I was instructing. Or after practice, he would talk to me and tell me how I could better do something. The kind thing there was to correct my air. But he did so respectfully and kindly by not embarrassing me in front of everyone and making a fool of me. So even correction and difficult conversations can be done with encouragement and the building up of others if they are done so with kindness and the other's best interests in mind. Yet so often... Instead of lovingly confronting and building one another up, what we do is we passively, aggressively try to get others to change through criticism. The unfortunate thing is that rarely or never works. Because most often the person you're trying to get to change through criticism, they don't even know what you want them to do, and they don't know why you're criticizing them. In Romans 2.10, Paul shares this incredible truth. Paul says that it is God's kindness that led us to repentance. You see, God doesn't nag us until we repent, but instead he treats us with kindness. And it is his kindness that leads us to repent, to change, to follow after him. There's so many implications and truths in this. It was God's kindness in sending Jesus that made a way and led us to repent. So in our families, instead of nagging, criticizing, and tearing down our spouse, what if we loved them, encouraged them, and had the courage to ask them to change in areas where we would like to see them change? Or think about how we love those outside the church. The easy thing to do is to sit in the church and to complain about the evils of the world. The easy thing to do is to sit in the church and to throw stones at those that believe different than us, that are living in sin, that drive us nuts, that bother us. But the call in Romans 2 is to be like Jesus and not throw stones, but to instead love those outside of the church with faith. When you pause and look at Jesus' ministry, there were times he got upset, and when, but when he got upset, it was always at those insides, most often the Pharisees, who were getting in the way of those coming to faith. To the outsider, Jesus most often treats them with love, compassion, and he speaks truth over their lives. If we want to see those outside of the church come to faith, to experience life in Jesus, they don't need us to throw stones and insult them. The world needs us to experience the kindness and love of Jesus firsthand and we so often as a church and as individuals we are called and we get to be that first touch of jesus's love that we pray leads those that we love to salvation and faith in him so encourage one another regularly do so with kindness and kind words and then finally i want to turn to this first thessalonians passage and see the unique way that paul calls us as a church to encourage one another i'm going to read it again starting verse 9 for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with him. Therefore, because of that, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. As believers, we don't encourage one another as the rest of the world encourages one another. We have the privilege to encourage one another in the assurance of our salvation. So that's our, our final point. Encourage one another in the assurance of our salvation. Verse 11 said, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. 
at the beginning of verse 11, we see one of those key words that I hope we know to be on the lookout for. Anytime we see the word therefore, we have to figure out what it is there for. Because it's that connecting word that brings life to and provides the context to what we are reading. And what, what the context that Paul is giving us is Paul says, God has not appointed us as believers to wrath. But instead, he has appointed us to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that reality, whether we are awake or asleep, and here he doesn't mean asleep as at night, but he means death. So whether we are alive or dead, we live together for Jesus because of his salvation. These are life-giving, life-assuring words that we as Christians are commanded to encourage one another in. I love how, how the pastor, John Piper, personalized this. He said, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And then he personalized, he said, or as it came to me with precious personal power, John Piper, you are mine, and I, your father, have not destined you for wrath. That is not what you are facing in this biopsy. If the cancer is found, it is not wrath. Nor will you ever come into wrath. There is not wrath for you, but you are appointed by my sovereign decree for salvation. And this is sure and solid and unshakable through your Lord Jesus Christ, because he died for you. He died for you. So that whether you wake or sleep, that is whether you live or die, you will live with him forever. And so in that, we can relax because God has everything under control. And in verse 11, it's just God's simple way of saying, and this precious, powerful, solid, unshakable word of hope is not just for you, but it is for all believers. So memorize it and share that encouragement with one another. So that when we grow tired, when we grow weary, when we question why something happened, we as followers of Jesus are called to come along one side or another and encourage each other to press on in our faith and remind each other of the assurance of our salvation. Remember we talked about the church in Thessalonica. They were under intense persecution. I'm sure there were times that it felt like they were experiencing the wrath of God. But Paul says that persecution is not from God. In fact, their salvation is secure and be, secure because of their salvation. Jesus' work on the cross, they are secure in their faith. They are not destined for wrath, but only salvation, only an eternity with God. That's the hope for the church of Thessalonica, and that's our hope today. Christ died for us. In what way? In this way, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He died for us so that whether we live like we do now or we die, we might live with him. Christ died for us and that he bore our sins in his body on the cross, 1 Peter 2.24 tells us, so that I might bear his divine and perfect righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. Died for me means that Jesus died in my place. Jesus was punished instead of me. He took the wrath and the death that my sin deserves so that I don't have to. And not only will I not bear the wrath, we are granted to live with Jesus as the friend and brother, the creator of the universe. That's what salvation means in verse 9. Destined for salvation means that we are, are destined to live forever with Jesus, who died for us, who loved us so much he gave himself for us. For the Christian, there is only life because of Jesus. That's the hope that we as Christians live in, and that's the hope that we are to encourage one another in. So as we struggle through life, we rest in the promise of Jesus. The reality is that in this life, we will face challenges. We will face setbacks. We will face heartbreaks. We will face disappointments and hurts. And we need one another to pick each other up and to remind us of our real identity in Jesus and the promise of our salvation. The thing that illustrates this for me uh, better than anything is my granddad. My granddad was a runner. 
And so my granddad, he, he was kind of crazy. He competed in competitive track meets all over the world into his 60s, uh, up until the point cancer took away his ability to run. And, and so what he would do is he would, in track meets, he would run the 100, the 200, and the 400. Now, I never understood why anyone in their right mind would run for any reason other than chase a ball. Like, it didn't, doesn't make sense to me. But he did, and he loved it. And so the 400-meter race is, is just, I'd say crazy, but I think it's just the dumbest race of them all. Uh, they say 400 meters is as long as a person can sprint full out. That's uh, an exhausting race. And so what my granddad would do when he would run, if he had people, what he would do is he would strategically place encouragers around the track to encourage him as he ran throughout the race. He would always try to have someone in the first 100 meters to encourage him to start strong. He would then place somebody on the second turn uh, to encourage him to continue on, to shout instruction on how to hold the lead or how to catch up. And then if he had the people, he would always place someone on that last back stretch to encourage him to keep going, to finish strong as his legs were giving out and his lungs were burning. He strategically would place encouragers along the track to pick him up and encourage him when he needed it most. When you're running away race, your, your legs grow weary, your lungs burn, your throat hurts, and everything in your body, every sane part of your body just says quit. And you need those people to encourage you to keep going. And that's the same in our faith. We need each other, each other. We need encouragers that call us to press on in our faith, to not grow weary of doing good, to pick each other up when we fall down, and to call one another to finish well. When we get the diagnosis that we don't want to hear, we are to be the people there to pick one another up and the assurance that God has not destined us for wrath, but instead salvation. When our hours are cut back, when we lose our job, when we don't know how we're going to pay our bills, we come alongside one another and help one another and then encourage one another with the truth that God has not destined us for wrath, but instead of salvation in Jesus. When a situation arises and we don't know how to move forward, we pray for one another and encourage one another in the truth that God has not destined us for wrath, but instead to salvation in Jesus. When we're ready to give in to temptation, when we're ready to leave the faith, when we're ready to throw in the towel, to stop going to church, to stop doing good, to stop leading our family, to stop doing the hard thing we're called to do. We are to encourage one another that it is worth it because God has not destined us for wrath, but instead of salvation in Jesus. That's the hope. God has not destined us for wrath, but instead salvation in Jesus. And our call is to encourage one another in that truth and to share that hope of salvation with the world that is in desperate need of Jesus. This is one of the reasons why it's so important that we regularly attend church and that we gather together with other believers. When we gather together as a body of believers, it opens our lives to encouragement, to the truth of Scripture, and to the reality of our salvation. When we gather together, we have to be encouraging, building up, and encouraging one another to press on in their faith. We've often uh, talked about the huddle analogy from football. But our time together as church is like that huddle from football. We get to come together, to gather together, to pick one another up, to encourage one another, to hear what we are called to do, and then we are sent out to live our faith in the world. Gathering together reminds us we are not alone, that we have brothers and sisters in the faith with us, with us and it reminds us of who we are in Jesus. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says this, And let us not consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I think that was one of the, the biggest struggles with COVID, is we weren't able to gather. And so as we come out of quarantine slowly, it is so important that we, that we get to embrace and resume our practice of gathering. And we don't gather just so we can hit a number on an attendance count somewhere. We gather so we can encourage one another 
to live out the, God, the call that God has placed in our lives. So this week, if you know someone that has slipped out of that habit, would you reach out and encourage them by letting them know that you love them, that you care about them, or that you miss seeing them? Would you just encourage them? You see, we as a church, we have been called to reach our community with the gospel and the love of Jesus. Jesus is the hope of our community. He is the hope for them to experience salvation as opposed to wrath. If we want to fulfill that calling, then we must be a church that encourages and picks one another up. A church that prays for one another and spurs one another on to fulfill our mission and live out our faith in the blessed assurance of our salvation. So this week, would you encourage, would you build up and share your hope of Jesus in kindness? So, so that's, that's the passage we are called to encourage one another. We do so regularly. We do so with kindness. And we get to do so with the assurance of our salvation. So as we respond here and online, the, the first question we always have to ask is, do you know Jesus? Have you ever experienced his salvation? The Bible tells us that he went to the cross and he died for the sins, for the wrath that our sin deserved. And that he rose victorious over death. And he offers life and salvation. He offers an eternity with him to all that will repent and follow after him. So do you know Jesus, your Lord and Savior? And if not, you can pray in your seat and repent and follow him. Or you can come and talk to me. I'd love to talk with you about what that means. Or would you just investigate who Jesus is and what that means for your life? And then secondly, if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, as you listen to this passage, you listen to Paul's words, who is he calling you to encourage this week? I said earlier, my challenge for you would be to be on the lookout with intentionality for the posse. And when you see something to encourage someone, and don't, don't keep it to yourself. I'm an introvert. It's always hard for me to go and share those things. But would you have the courage to just go and share that positive word with a coworker, with a spouse, with a child, with a friend? And then maybe there's someone you know that is struggling. And you need to come alongside them if they're a brother or sister in Christ and just to encourage them. That what they're going through is not the wrath of God, but they are destined for salvation in Jesus. Or maybe there's someone that's struggling that's not a Christian. You need just to love them and encourage them with kindness in a tangible way. And through that, my prayer is that you have the chance to share the hope of salvation that is available to them through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So who can you encourage this week? Who can you build up? Who can you give the gift of your words to? I'm going to pray for us and close us in prayer. And as I do, the, the Tuckers are going to come. They're going to lead us in one uh, final song. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for Paul's words here. We thank you that, that in Christ there is the promise that we are not destined to wrath, but only to salvation in you. And that whether we live or we die, whether we are in the highs of life or the lows, we can know that our salvation is secure through Jesus. God, we thank you for the truth of that, Lord. And I pray that that would be a truth that we memorize and repeat over our own lives, but also one that we would share with our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I pray this week that you would just open our, our hearts and our eyes and our minds with intentionality to all the, the good things that you have blessed us with, all the, the positives in our lives, Lord, and that you give us the courage to share that encouragement and that hope with those around us. God, I pray that, that this week that you would put people in our lives that, that might not know you. Uh, God, that you would remind us that it is kindness that led us to repentance, Lord, and that we would show your kindness to those around us. That we would give us opportunities to be your tangible hands and feet, to show your love and kindness to a lost and dying world. And God, my prayer is that through that kindness, you would call people to repentance in you. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. 
just for your love and the salvation that we have in you. Lord, I pray uh, that as you send us out this week, that we would go astray, uh, go out to encourage one another. It's your name we pray. Amen. song join the one that never ends because he lives I was dead in the grave I was covered in sin call my name he rolled the stone away amen amen I'm alive I'm alive because he song join the one that never ends because he lives